All right, Joshua chapter 17 is where we are at, and uh, just a little bit of review, but we're going through and we're seeing how the land is being divided up amongst the tribes, and uh, so it's been two weeks since we did the last one, but before we see that they were talking about dividing land up with Manasseh, and we already covered a little bit of this chapter because of the fact that Manasseh was a very large tribe, and so they needed a bigger portion of land because there were so many of them. So what we're going to do tonight, though, is in this chapter, we see a story mentioned, we see a reference to the daughters of Zelophehad. And these daughters are actually mentioned several times in the scripture. And there's some important things that we can learn from what happened uh, with these women that will help us when it comes to just understanding the law and different commands and things in the Bible. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit, for Matcher, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, therefore he had Gilead and Bashan. There was also a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families, for the children of Abiezer, and for the children of Halak, for the children of Asriel, for the children of Shechem, for the children of Hefer, for the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their families. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Matcher, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terza. I picture every one of them just being really ugly, because they just have ugly names. And when you have a name like Hogla, you, I, I just... I feel sorry for that girl when she was in school. But anyway, it says, And they came near before Eliezer the priest, and before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the princes, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their fathers. So here we see some daughters receiving an inheritance in the name of their father. And so this is a little different than what we normally see. Typically, you don't see the women getting the inheritance. You see it going to the sons. And so in order to understand what's going on here, why this is mentioned, it's important that we go back in the Bible a little ways. And we're going to see there's actually quite a bit of scripture devoted uh, to these women and why they received an inheritance. So turn back to Numbers chapter 26. So we're going back a little ways in time. I don't know exactly how many years this would be, but Moses is still alive. He's still on the scene here. And it says in Numbers 26, verse 33, And Zelophehad, the son of Heber, had no sons but daughters, and the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terza. And one of the things that we see, and we've talked about this before, is those genealogies were given for a reason because uh, they had legal claim. If you were from certain families, you had legal claim to certain lands. And so that's why we see so much of the Bible devoted towards these genealogies because it really mattered to them. And I'm not going to repeat all that, but um, it, re- it did. It mattered to them because it was all about who was going to inherit that land, who it was going to belong to. Was that This was their legal deed. So... Um, so now let's go to Numbers chapter 27, because this is what we see referenced in verse four of chapter 17. It mentions that they came near before Eliezer, the priest, before Joshua, the son of Nun, before the priest saying, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance. So this right here in Numbers 27 
is what they were referring to. So let's look at this. It says in verse 1, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Matur, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation saying, Our father died in the wilderness and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family because he hath no son? Give unto us therefore a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter... Then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if ye have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment as the Lord commanded Moses. So, the first thing we need to understand here is this story is not a case for feminism and equal rights, which I heard a woman use this story one time, uh, just trying to show you know that the Bible teaches feminism and all the stuff that they promote. She literally used this story uh, of these women. That is not what we're seeing right here. I, I listened to a lady one time on a podcast just literally preaching feminism from the Bible, and I had never in my life heard scriptures butchered as bad as I did by this woman. And then I was like, well, you know what? I understand why the Bible says what it does about these subjects a little bit more. Because it, it was so far off, it was so bad. And I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But we, here's what you need to understand. These women, they weren't looking for an inheritance for themselves. They weren't looking for something that would be in their name. They were thinking about their father. They were honoring their father. And that's a good thing. They didn't want his name to be forgotten. He wasn't of this cursed group that he got in trouble in the matter of Korah. This was something he had, you know, just died for his own reasons, for his own sin. He wasn't somebody that, uh, you know, had lost the inheritance. He was somebody who had come out of Egypt, but he died in the wilderness. He was supposed to get an inheritance, but there were no sons. And so they didn't want his name being forgotten. So they come to Moses and they're doing this because they didn't want their father's name being forgotten. And Moses went to the Lord. And the Lord told him exactly what needed to be done. And then what God ends up doing here, because the law then was, and the, the method that they had, was that the inheritance go to the son. But you know what? Sometimes laws, they're not real specific. And so there's often um, circumstances you know, that are, are different. There's often exceptions. And so many times when that happens, even in real life, you know, people have to get together and they got to make laws for those exceptions. And so when Moses comes to God saying, hey, what do we do if the guy doesn't have a son? Legitimate question. Then Moses said, then it goes to his daughters. Okay, well, then what if he doesn't have any daughters? Then it goes to his brethren. His brothers. What if he doesn't have any brothers? 
you know, that just goes to the nearest of kin. And so everybody's got a relative. Some, all right. Every, everybody's got a relative somewhere. Oh, and then, you know, and then you got these people out there. Well, you know, I know this one person, you know, just whatever tribe he's from, it'll go there. Right? You know, it, and, you know, the Bible doesn't always go into great detail for every little thing, but it does in enough places we can kind of figure out what we need to do. And we'll say more about that in a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but turn over to Numbers chapter 36 because, uh, here we see, uh, these uh, daughters that are mentioned again, and we are going to see even more clarification of what needs to take place in situations like this. And it says, "In the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Matur, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spake before Moses and before the princes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord is commanded by the Lord to give an inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, unto his daughters. And if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then shall their inheritance be taken from uh, the inheritance of our fathers and shall be put into the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. So they're concerned. They're like, hey, what if these daughters marry somebody from a tribe other than Manasseh, now we got people from the other tribes that have possession in our land. And it says, And when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, then shall the inheritance be put into the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. And Moses commanded the children of Israel, because, and let me stop for a second, because whenever that jubilee would happen, often land would get sold. You know, maybe there was a famine. There was, you know, one was in poverty, came on hard times, but the land was always supposed to remain in that tribe and with the family that it belonged to. And so, if that happened where you did have to sell it, then it would eventually go back to that tribe. So, if these daughters of Zelophehad, if they marry somebody from the tribe of, you know, Ephraim, then every 50 years, that's going right back to the tribe of Ephraim. And so this is going to kind of create a conflict. And so they want to know what to do because it's another example of, well, what if this happens? Okay. You know, what if, what about this circumstance? Cause again, a lot of times we see some clear commands in the Bible, but there's circumstances that are a little different. There's, there's exceptions and we often want to know what to do. And I'm telling you the story here, it can kind of help us understand some of these things. And so it says in verse five, and Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, the tribe of the sons of Joseph hath said well. So, hey, this is, this is a legitimate concern. Because at this point, the Bible doesn't say anything about what to do in that situation. So they go to the Lord, and they're saying, this is a good question. And so they said, this is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Zalab had, saying, let them marry to whom they think best, only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. And this is a reminder too, women are allowed to say no to marrying somebody. Okay? And that's something we see throughout the Bible. Okay? Rebecca, when they said, hey, do you want to go with this man? It wasn't just like an arranged thing where the woman had no choice. Women always had choices in the Bible. And I think that's a good thing. But verse 7 says, so he says, these, these daughters... If they're going to get inheritance, then they have to marry in the tribe of their father. They can't marry outside that tribe because then we won't have this problem. So it says, So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. 
For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers, and every daughter that possesseth an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. Neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance, even as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. For Mala, Terza, Hogla, Milcah, Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married unto their father's brother's son, and they were married unto the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. So back here in Numbers is where all these things were dealt with, where these women, they came, they made their case to Moses. They were wanting to remember their father. And Moses went to the Lord. Hey, we've got a, a unique situation here. What do we do in this unique situation? And, you know, Luckily for Moses, God directly told him what to do. God gave him his word. So, I mean, this is, this is now Bible, what he's commanding here, what he says to do. And then when we get into Joshua and the time has come, they've inherited the land and they're starting to, you know, distribute the land to people. Uh, these women came and said, Hey, Moses said we get an inheritance too. Because it'd be real easy to kind of forget them since they're women. And it's mainly the men, but they did. They had a, a command from Moses for them to get an inheritance. And so that's what these stories were about. And that's why it, this is mentioned in the book of Joshua, showing that they did, in fact, get what was promised to them. And so the rest of the chapter of uh, Joshua 17, it basically shows how the land was divided. It shows how Manasseh received the larger portion. We covered that when we were in chapter 16. But what I want to focus on in the rest of this chapter is on some important principles that we can learn when it, uh, when it comes to being consistently biblical, when it comes to deciding rules for our lives and just determining right and wrong in difficult situations. There are some things that are just real cut and dry. It's real easy to figure out, you know, right and wrong. But sometimes you have areas that, that sometimes people will call gray areas, you know, where it's a little more difficult, where we don't have a real clear, thus saith the Lord. We find ourselves uh, in situations like that all the time where you know there's, this, there's kind of exceptions. And so we want to make sure we judge biblically, that we judge accurately. And we don't have the ability like Moses to just go directly to God and then God give us additional word from Him. You know, that's, that's not going to happen. And so there are some things... Uh, that it's important that we understand about many laws, you know, because there are often special circumstances, and and um, when we don't, un if 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 we're not careful, we can start making really bad judgments and literally use the Bible, or I should say, misuse the Bible in a way that often ends up doing damage, and you end up hurting people. People can often, uh, people will often get hurt in their attempt to follow the Bible. You know, and to follow a verse, but the thing is, they're not really doing it right. This is a, a special situation, a special circumstance, and we need to make sure we know how to accurately judge in these. So a few principles that we need to understand in order to help us understand what to do in these special circumstances is we need to realize that sometimes there are exceptions to the rules. 
Sometimes there are exceptions. Now turn over to Mark chapter 10. This is very important because you always, you always get those knuckleheads in churches that uh, they're just real sticklers to certain rules and it's like, it's like it's their spiritual gift to make everybody miserable with a specific verse of the Bible. And you know, and the laws of God are not grievous. The commandments of God are not grievous. These things are not meant to torture us and to make us miserable. The Bible is gonna, you know, if we follow the Word of God the way we're supposed to, it, it will make us happy. It will make our life better. But some people somehow manage to use the Bible to make people miserable. And we, we, we need to watch out for that. And it's usually novices, you know, just handling the Word of God deceitfully. Uh, so we, but we must always remember when it comes to things that sometimes there are exceptions to certain rules. Now, in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered us to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain should be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said to them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So here we see that, uh, that these Pharisees, they're coming to Jesus trying to tempt him with this question. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And you know, the very, it's very clear in the Bible that the rule for marriage is stay together forever. There's no doubt about it. That's what God wants. That's what you're supposed to do. It is till death do you part. But we see that in the law, there was an exception made for fornication in the case of fornication. And we're not going to go into what all that was, but it was a very specific situation. It was really a very unique situation. What the, the exception that was given was probably not something that happened that often. But at the same time, because an exception was given, people, what did they do? They ended up abusing it, didn't they? They ended up kind of going crazy with it because, well, hey, Moses, you know, you have a problem with divorce? Well, Moses allowed divorce. You ever see people do that? Whenever there's the exception of something in the Bible, you know, like we're not, you know, you, we should treat people with kindness. Oh well, you know Elijah was pretty mean to those prophets of Baal. He made fun of them and he cut, you know, and he killed all of them. I, I get it. Hey, there's exceptions sometimes. All right, that was a circumstance. And you know what? Elijah was right in what he did. You know, you should, you know, you shouldn't mock people. Well, Elijah mocked people. You know, I mean, you know, you shouldn't kill anybody. Well, Jesus is going to kill a whole bunch of people at Armageddon. You know, <laughs> so I mean, hey, thou shalt not kill. Oh, what about the death penalty? You see how there's exceptions, but whenever people just want to do wicked, what do they always do? They always go to those things to kind of try to justify sin is what they're doing. And it's very frustrating to watch people do that. You can always find an example because, again, I mean, literally with anything, 
You know, with, you know, there's a lot about anger in the Bible. But we've also got examples of good anger. And so whenever you call somebody out for being angry, they always go, oh, you know, Paul got angry. Jesus got angry. You know, they always have these examples. Well, I still don't think your anger was justified. It clearly wasn't. But the thing is, there are exceptions, but it doesn't get, the Bible isn't giving permission to abuse the system. Okay? And it's kind of like on the mask issue, for example, too. Whenever people say, well, you don't have to wear a mask, but for medical reasons, we all got medical reasons, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, we all, we all, we all got medical reasons. Isn't that kind of how, how we do it? We kind of abuse we kind of abuse the system. Now, go ahead and do it for that. But, but you know, it, it's just kind of a part of our sin nature. How about service animals? Okay, you know, you have all these places where you're not allowed to have animals unless it's a service animal. Well, now we've all got issues and we have to have an emotional support pet. And it's just like, you know, did you really need that emotional support turkey on the plane? I don't know if you ever saw the picture of that. I just, I think you could have survived without it. But I got a doctor's note. And you know what? If I was, you know what? If you were paying me what you pay that doctor, I'd give you a note too. I still don't. Th- I still don't think you need that. Okay, and and I'm not preaching against service animals or anything like that. Obviously, there is a place for them, you know. But because there's a place for them, all of a sudden now everybody needs them. And, you know, every, everybody's claiming it, and you know, for example, too, we have welfare programs in this country for people with disabilities. And I'm, I'm, I think it's good that we help people out and take care of people with disabilities, but now everybody's got a disability. You know, now you've got perfectly healthy people. Oh, I got mental disabilities. You know, I, I got emotional problems. I get stressed out at work. I guess I got mental problems, you know, I mean, but you see, you see how we often do these things. But here's the thing. Those exceptions aren't bad, but it's bad people that just go abusing these systems trying to take advantage, and we can go on and on with examples like that. And often, exceptions lead to abuse, but we got to understand that it still doesn't mean that the law is bad because the law is good. You know, the way it was it was outlined in the Bible was good, but you know what? These things do reveal just how simple, sinful we are, don't they? And so the thing is, too, you know, even on the issue with divorce, okay? And again, let's, if, you know, let me, let me just be honest. If it was, if it was my daughter, Okay, if my daughter was um, was married to some abusive pervert, okay, I wouldn't want her to stay with the guy. I would want if they, if they had kids, I would want her to do whatever she had to do to legally protect herself from that guy. And if that means they got to get divorced, I'd support her in doing that. I mean, I because unfortunately, you know. We don't take care of perverts like we're supposed to in this world, but I would still want to protect my daughter. And, and the thing is, the pro, so the thing is, if you make an exception, or I, I just said that I would do that if my daughter was married to an abusive pervert, or let's say I said a reprobate. But now, everybody's married to a reprobate, you know. And I've heard a lot of people, I, I, I've heard preachers do it before, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're married to a reprobate, you know, usually meaning some like pervert or something. Go ahead and get divorced, and my spouse is reprobate. All of a sudden, a whole bunch of people just became reprobates. You know, and it's like, you know, that's not necessarily true, but we abuse the system, don't we? And that is not the way things are supposed to go. These and so on the other side of that ditch, you have people that are just sticklers to a specific rule that they like, 
and they will not allow for any exception. And they often make the law look evil and even make it destructive. And then, if you criticize those people, they'll tell you you're just mocking the Word of God and criticizing the Bible. So here, here's some examples. Let's look at Luke 14, verse 3. It says, Jesus answering, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and He took them and healed them and let them go. And He answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now, obviously, the rule is don't work on the Sabbath day. But even though the you know the Old Testament didn't specifically spell out the situation, the whole point of rest is to help you out as for worshiping. But if you have an emergency, by all means, do the work. Okay, if your ox falls in a pit, you need that thing as part of your livelihood. You need to survive, and it's it's an animal, but it's a life. You know, you don't want the thing to just be stuck in there and to suffer and slowly die. You know what? Get him out. I, no, I I trust God so much. I'll let my ox die. Okay, well, what if your kid falls on there? You know, are you gonna let them die? Are, are you so spiritual that you're just gonna let them suffer and die in there because you know you don't want to break a sweat on a Sabbath day? Obviously, there's exceptions, folks. Don't work on the Sabbath day, but you know what? There's exceptions. You know, I don't. You know, I, I I don't think it's good. You know, I think people ought to focus on the house of God on Sunday. But at the same time, there are some people we kind of want working on Sundays, don't we? What do you think would happen if all the police, you know, took off for church at the same time on Sundays? Guess when crime's going to spike? What if everybody in the hospitals and emergency rooms all decided to take off? You know, whenever uh, it's church time, and you, if you have an emergency during that time, you're going to have to wait a couple hours. Until they get back from church. You know, obviously there's exceptions. Okay? I believe you ought to go to church. But you know what? If you got COVID, you probably should stay home. I believe you ought to go to church, but if your wife's in the hospital delivering a baby, you should probably go to the hospital. Now, you show me a verse that says that. You know, the Bible does say, forsake not, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves. And I don't see it say anywhere in there for an exception saying that you can take off because your wife's having a baby. You know what? It doesn't need to say it. Folks, some things are just common sense. Some things are just common sense. Oh, we're, we're so strict. I'm bringing my wife to church even if she's in labor. If the Lord wants her to have it during church, and that's just God's will. Folks, don't let your wife have a baby here during church. Okay? Now, if it just happens, you weren't, you know, you weren't expecting it, but even then, man, call an ambulance or something, alright? You know, we don't want to deal with that here. That's not going to be a real good service if we got a lady in the back room, you know, screaming in labor and stuff. I don't think people are going to pay very much attention to the sermon. I just, so, do y'all see how there's exceptions? Go to church. It's a good rule. All these things are good rule. Thou shalt not kill is a good rule. But, sometimes you got to protect yourself. Sometimes you got to protect your family. And you know what you need to do? You need, sometimes you need to put some, somebody down. You don't, you know, we don't go to the policeman and say, thou shalt not kill when he shoots the bad guy that had a gun pointed at him. You know, and well, I guess we do that a lot too. But, you know, we shouldn't. Okay? There's clearly exceptions and we're not going to hurt people by being just sticklers on these things. That's not what they were intended for. Mark 2.23 says, And it came to pass as he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? 
And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he had need? It was a hungered. He, uh, and they, uh, they that are with him, how he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat before the priest, and gave also to them that were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was supposed to be good for people. And yet, these guys were so hardcore on it, they made it a burden. They made people's day more difficult, which defeated the purpose of the Sabbath. And we've got to understand, the laws of God are there for our own good. But sometimes there's special situations, there's special circumstances. And when all of a sudden we turn these things into burdens, or we even make things destructive, then you know what? You know, we've, we've blown it. I believe all the Bible verses that talk about being gentle. But, if you're hurting my family, gentleness is going to go bye-bye for a little while. And we're going to get real rough. And that's okay. We're allowed to do that. It's not a sin, but there's people out there just determined to make us all suffer and die. I'll die before I ever do any violence. Well, you're probably going to die because there's bad people out there and sometimes uh, you got to get them before they get you. It's just the way it is. So, say, so, you know, soul winning, so, you know, the Sabbath is a good thing, but the Pharisees turned it into a burden. You know, soul winning is good, but you know there's a time when it's just not a good time, a good idea to go out. You know, I mean, you know, we should use a little bit of tact when it goes those things too. You know, I shouldn't go out soul winning at midnight. You know, I just I don't think that's going to be real effective. I think you're just going to make more people mad at you when you knock on their doors at midnight. You know, if there's a blizzard out, I don't think you need to endanger yourself there. Well, people are going to hell even during a blizzard. Huh? People are going to hell even during midnight too. But there there's there's common sense. There's a practical way to do things. And you know, you, you do you have these people. They're so hardcore and they're soul winning at their specific time that they're going no matter what. Well. Hey, God bless you, but you know what? I want soul winners to continue soul winning, and so I don't want to burn them out. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to destroy them. I also want to have a good testimony in this community too. And so we're going to have some tact when it comes to these things. And we realize that, you know, uh, there's, there's times when we don't need to do it. You know, I, I like our soul winning on Sundays and things we do, but sometimes we have really busy weekends. And when we have a real big soul winning day on a Saturday or something, you know, I don't feel bad when I say, hey, we're going to give people a break today. I don't think it's wrong to do that. I don't think we, I don't think when the Lord gave us that great commission, you know, he just wants us always just being, pushing ourselves to the limit and, you know, burning ourselves out. It's okay to use a little wisdom. It's okay to rest from some things. It's not wrong as long as we just don't forsake it completely. And, and you know, obviously we change how we do some things in the winter time too because it is, it's a lot more difficult in the winter. There's different challenges and things out there and you do, you just want to use some common sense. So sometimes there's exceptions. Sometimes there's exemptions. In Matthew chapter 17 verse 24, it says when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth your master... Not your master pay tribute. He saith yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. 
Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast in a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money and take and give unto the, uh, them for me and thee. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this passage here, but Jesus was basically telling them, hey, you know, technically I'm exempt. But, you know, he didn't want to be an offense, so he did it anyway. But I think he mainly wanted Peter to just understand, you know, hey, what you told these people was not exactly right. And we, there are laws we even have today in our country that people are exempt from. For example, our church is tax exempt. Churches are tax exempt. Okay? Many places, it is illegal to go door to door for things, but those doing it for religious purposes are exempt even by our own laws in our country. So we do. There's laws in places that say you can't do this, but churches are exempt. In a lot of places, uh, when the lockdown happened last year, they said no groups of over 10 or more in public spaces. But you know what a lot of people did? They recognized the, you know, the First Amendment. And they said, you know, religious organizations are exempt. Here's the rule, but there are people who are exempt from that rule. And churches should have been across the board. You know, that, that was very clear. And you know, the Bible's the same way too. There's sometimes there's things that the Bible talks about that don't necessarily apply to everybody. There are, there are exemptions. And sometimes you do, you have the overzealous knucklehead that tries to get people to follow laws that they're technically exempt from. Alright, so for example, we believe that, you know, women be in subjection to their husbands and while they're home with their fathers. We, we believe in that. We teach that a woman is to be in subjection. Is that not an accurate rule? Okay. But you know there's exemptions. For example, what about a woman who doesn't have a husband? Okay. Well, then, then it's her father. Well, what if she doesn't have a father either? What if she's a widow? You know, what are we going to do then? And you know, you're always going to have the overzealous knucklehead that thinks they're, you know, that they're just like in charge of all women. And we ran into those people before, and those are uh, those are another group we can talk about for another day. But you know, here, here's the thing too. What about a woman who is separated, you know, from a husband, you know, because he, you know, he is in fact a reprobate. You know, he's somebody, uh, you know, she has the custody of the kids. So you know, we teach that the man ought to be the spiritual leader. But you know, if your husband is sitting in prison for child molestation, should he be the leader of that home? Should he be choosing the church? Or should the wife be doing it? Obviously, in a situation like that, you know what? The wife should do it. You know, the wife is, is going to be exempt because of her situation. And, and I think that's common sense, folks. Do I even have to show you a verse on something like that? I mean, do we really think that, you know, she should be calling up her husband from prison, you know, who's an atheist? And say, hey, where do you think I go to church? I should go to church. And then he just decides. No, I don't think she should listen to him in that. Well, they're technically still married. She has to. No, I think she's exempt. I, 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 I do. I don't believe she needs... And, and some people probably get mad at me for that. Well, all I can say is, you know, I wouldn't want to be somebody under your leadership. And I would hope I would never... Uh, I would hope my daughters would never be under leadership like that because you could you could really ruin somebody 
and hurt somebody. Some people, they are, they're so hardcore on the submission thing, they will, they will encourage a woman to continue being abused by their husband and endanger the children. I don't think you need to do that. I'm going to tell you right now, I will never tell my daughter to do that and to endanger my grandkids because I'm just so hardcore on husbands being the head of the house that I will literally tell my daughter and encourage her to endanger my grandkids. Are you kidding me? That's, that's not going to happen. Obviously, you know, we, we understand the rule, but sometimes there's exceptions. Sometimes there's exemptions. This guy's crossed the line. This guy has, is in no business, has no business being the leader of a home. He has no position even walking the earth. But we live in a messed up country that doesn't take care of these people. And you know what? If somebody steps in and tries to intervene and help there, I don't think it's wrong to do that. And I, I think it's just really, it's common sense. And so, um, so turn to Matthew chapter four and verse six. So sometimes confusion it comes from a misapplication of the law. Matthew four six it says, and it saith unto him, this is Satan speaking, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So, I mean, Satan just quoted Scripture to Jesus here. Hey, if you throw yourself from this pinnacle of the temple here, angels will gather you up. And I got Bible to prove it. But, you know, what did Jesus do? He turned around and he rebuked him and he said, you know, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He gave him another Scripture. Here's what you need to understand. This is an important thing that you need to understand about preaching. And I'm reminded of this truth. Every week, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I see another example of why this is so true. But just because a preacher starts out his sermon with a passage of Scripture, it doesn't mean what he's about to teach is correct. A lot of times, preachers, they get up and say some of the dumbest things you have ever heard in your life. And it's right after reading a Scripture. And we are, we're so used to just following the Bible. and Hey, prove it to me from the Bible. But you know what? Sometimes people misapply Scriptures. Sometimes, they, hey, this isn't talking about that kind of situation. This doesn't fit that situation. We, this, you know, this Scripture, great, you use the Scripture here, but this is not an appropriate use of that Scripture. This is not a time to do that. Because two, when Satan used this, when he says, they shall bear thee up, if at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. This sounds to me, it's more like something if there's like an accident or something. So this doesn't mean you should just go purposefully do something that could kill you. Okay? This is just referring to something, you know, hey, the, his, his angels are going to take care of you. And I do. I believe God's angels can protect us. But that doesn't mean I go be reckless now. That's not, that's, that's tempting God. Because we need to understand too, you know, while you might have one verse that you can use in one way, a lot of times there's other verses that, um, you know, would seem to contradict it, assuming your interpretation is correct. But if your interpretation of one verse contradicts another verse somewhere else, you know what it means? You're misapplying that scripture. You're doing something wrong on one of those scriptures. The Bible's always consistent with each other. It says in 1 Timothy 1 5, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which uh, some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law. And these guys, they can recall scriptures. They got it memorized. 
They're good with Esau. They know how to find Scriptures that says what they needed to say. But you know what? They're understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And these people are. They're good. They're good at finding those Scriptures. But they're not using it right. They're not using it properly. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible is not going to destroy someone's life. The commands of God are not going to endanger women and children. They're not going to do that. But not if you use those laws lawfully. But if you misuse those things, you better believe you can do some damage to people. You better believe that you can hurt some people. You know what? You ought to follow the leadership of the pastor. That's a good rule. But sometimes there's exceptions. Because sometimes preachers go bad. Sometimes they teach false doctrine. And so while the rule is to you know follow the leadership of the pastor, sometimes there's exceptions. And I'm telling you right now, if I get up and I just start preaching all kinds of crazy heresy and things, and I start telling you people to do something that's unbiblical, you know what? You all will become exempt from following the leadership of the pastor. Because I'm the pastor technically, I still have the title, but I'm misusing the Scripture and you don't have to follow that. You don't have to listen to that. You don't have to listen to what I'm saying. Because here's the thing too about a husband. Okay, And uh, in case two... You have the knuckleheads that want to get mad at me. And, and you know who the kind of men that get mad at preaching like this? Bad husbands. You know, one who does not, is not being a husband. Because here's the thing about being a husband. It's more than just a title that you received when you signed a marriage license and you put a ring on your finger. It implies that you are going to do the job of a husband of loving your wife, cherishing your wife, Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel? Are you doing any of the things that a husband does? And if you are, yes, your wife should follow your leadership, but when you're doing nothing that a husband does, you know, but just because you got a title on a license somewhere, it doesn't mean that that woman has to just allow herself to be destroyed and endanger her own life and her own children. And it is crazy some of the things that people, and even Baptist preachers, some of the situations they have kept and encouraged women to be in. I, I do. I think that is an absolute shame when that kind of thing happens. And let me tell you, I am not for destroying marriages. I am not for breaking people up. But I'm not for abusing women either. I'm not for endangering children. I'm not for putting innocent people in harm's way. And let me tell you something, the Bible is not going to do that either. The Bible's, the Bible's not going to do that. Oh, well, you know, if, if these people really were right, these women really were in danger, God would just kill their husband. We don't, we don't know that. Well, he did it with Abigail. He did. He did, and he definitely could. But it's not guaranteed he's going to all the time. And it's okay for people to step in sometimes and protect those who are in danger, who are being abused. But we know the law is good. If a man use it lawfully. So just because somebody is using the law, quoting the law, doesn't mean they're doing it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. It is, these laws are given to... Protect the innocent. 
to and to hurt the evil. And when we're using these things and it's all the wrong people getting hurt, it's probably because we are misusing it. Because we are misapplying the law and we don't want to do that. And in this story that we looked at with the daughters of Zelophehad, we see them go to the Lord when it came to a, a unique situation, a special circumstance. We see that the Lord gave them you know, His, His Word for this situation and it was a blessing because the law was now clear from then on out. But you know what? There's going to be times in our life where we don't have a specific Scripture to tell us exactly what to do in our situation. But when that happens, you know what? We can go to the Lord in prayer. I don't believe He's going to you know, give us you know, His Word at the same way He did to Moses. But I do believe if we ask the Holy Spirit, He will guide us and he uh, and he will point us to scriptures that we can look for, not necessarily for Bible commands, but for Bible principles, where we compare our situation with their situation. Say, well, here's kind of a similar circumstance, and and we can do it in a way that's consistent with the Bible. We also have the multitude of counselors thing too. You know, we we can use that whenever we find ourselves. In these difficult situations, because you know, I don't have a Bible. I don't have a Bible verse that says you can skip church when your wife's having a baby. I don't, I don't have a Bible verse, and, but at the same time, I got Bible principle, and I think it's okay to do that. Just like the Apostle Paul, he didn't have a Bible verse that he quoted for uh, taking care of the preacher, but you know what he did do? He used a principle not to muzzle the ox that treadeth the corn. He made a comparison. Hey, if God cares for oxen, you better believe He cares for the preacher. And so we do the same thing many times in the Bible. And you do, you have, you know, your trendies and things out there that it's like you have to have a black and white, thus saith the Lord for that exact situation. We don't have that, but we can get the principles that we need. And so, uh, this story of the daughters of Zelophehad is a reminder. Of that, and we need to always keep that in mind. And you do. We all have our laws that we like because we think we've got these things covered. You know, we think they're good. You know, and so we're we're real mouthy on those things sometimes. But we do need to understand sometimes there's exceptions. Obviously, children obey your parents, but you know, what if they tell you to go shoot somebody? You know, you know. We also have thou shalt not kill. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but one of the Ten Commandments too is honor thy father and mother. You know? And, and you know, so, so some of these things are real obvious, but sometimes it's more difficult too. And, and, and that's why sometimes we do need uh, a lot of prayer. We do need a lot of help. We need, we need a lot of counsel on these things. And I do believe though that God has given us everything we need in the Bible. That if we actually study it and read it and apply it properly we'll be able to figure out what to do in those tough situations. He'll help us do it. We can get these things right. And uh, when we start destroying people, hurting people, endangering people, we're not using the law right. Because that's that's not what it is here for. This Bible is not going to make you miserable. It will make you happy if we follow it. It will, it will do that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. I pray that these things were clear. And Lord, while it's impossible to just go into every possibility of every circumstance, Lord, that we could come up with, I pray that uh, we got enough principles tonight from this message to just uh, help everyone to 
uh, be righteous and consistent in their judgment, especially when it comes to other people. Lord, you know, help us to understand there's, there are difficult situations and sometimes we just need to show grace for people and we thank you that we're allowed to do that, Lord. You've, uh, you've even commanded us to do that in, in your word and I pray you'll help us to, uh, use these things properly. In your name we pray. Amen.